best part of doing a podcast is when I finally feel the inspiration to write a script. Since I started doing a mixture of me completely freeballing it, or just utilizing notes and sources, and the occasional script, I think my content quality is getting a nice variation, which hopefully y'all are finding both funky and fresh. Welcome to Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. I'm Comrade Dubs, and today we're going to talk about some stuff. But first, before we do, I got my buddy Joe here again to talk with us. How you doing tonight, Joe? Hey, good. How's everybody doing? I hope so. So you ever watched that show on cinema at, uh, at the cinema? You know Tim, Tim Heidecker from uh, Tim and Eric? Oh, yes. I am aware of him. Well, well run, one of the running gags is that there's like 10 seasons of it, but the host never announces the co-host as the co-host. He just calls him the guest every episode. And I think that applies. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, and what's fucked up is I actually do have a few other uh, scripts written, and I just need to nail down when to get together with the people and do them. Problem is, is we are all very busy, but you and I are both losers who have the same schedule, so we're good. (laughs) Really? <laughs> yeah. So, Joe, uh, what do you think about the political spectrum in the United States? I mean, nothing that hasn't really already been said by like anybody familiar with any Marxist theory of <laughs> politics, which is to say that even the furthest left organizations in the U.S. and and that's like in the niche, like going the PSL and even SA, even those are kind of on the right end or the ultra leftist end of yeah. like Marxist organizations. Depending so, on but where I mean, you're standing. In the public conscious, obviously I would say we vary from fascist to right wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and that's pretty much what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about political spectrums, the limiting of political uh, scope, why centrist views are bad, and why I personally advocate more radical positions. Honestly, the idea for this episode came from a poem, The Second Coming, by W.B. Yeats. I'm going to read the whole poem at the end, but that phrase that stands out most to me is the phrase, quote, things fall apart, the center does not hold, end quote. Honestly, it's a pretty metal poem for a guy who died in 1939. So, did you say W.B. Du Bois? No, uh, Yeats. Different oh, W.B. Ye- okay. Yeah. I don't know if uh, if Du Bois did uh, poetry, did he? I know uh, he did. Uh, a, he, I don't know. He I did a bunch I, of I, opinion. I and, yeah. But, no, Yeats, well, actually, so, so do you know anything about W.B. Yeats? No. Okay. Well... I didn't know much about him either. I'm a poet, and but I'm also, like, I just write. I'm not classically trained. I didn't take any poetry courses. And I'd heard the name Yeats tossed around, and I knew that line from that poem. I didn't even know it was from one of his poems. Of course he's a goddamn Irishman. <laughs> oh, we're getting there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is just me freeballing it. So. Oh, a Protestant. Oh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. You Let me read this, and then you touch in, okay? <laughs> so, speaking of Yeats, we need to touch on Yeats for a moment, because besides being maybe one of the world's most influential poets of the last 150 years, he was also a fucking badass. Uh, from a write-up on poetryfoundation.org. Quote, William Butler Yeats is widely considered to be one of the greatest poets of the 20th century. He belonged to the Protestant Anglo-Irish minority that had controlled the economic, political, social, and cultural life of Ireland since at least the end of the 17th century. Most members of this minority considered themselves English people who happened to have been born in Ireland, but Yeats staunchly affirmed his Irish nationality. Although he lived in London for 14 years of his childhood and kept a permanent home there during the first half of his adult life, Yeats maintained his cultural roots featuring Irish legends and heroes in many of his poems and plays. He was equally firm in adhering to his self-image as an artist. End quote. <clears throat> so, yeah, what, what, what do you want to add about this awesome guy that I didn't know about a few days ago? <laughs> well, seeing as how I just heard about him for the first time, um, I hear early 20th century Protestant Irish and uh, my brain goes to bad places. <laughs> Me too. And then you get to the next line where he's like, but I said, fuck you guys, I'm an Irishman, and all my poems are going to be about Irish legends. 
And oh God. I, I think you Let's... did touch it on the head when, you know, like I read that line and you're like, oh, of course he's an Irishman. Cause yeah, it's very much, very much has that, uh, undercurrent of Irish modeling, uh, I don't know. Sadness. Fucking James Joyce bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't don't get me started on James Joyce, man. You don't need, you know, a sentence to last the whole damn page, okay? I literally tried to read the his Ulysses or whatever yeah. that fucking book is and after like three pages I was like, This is not yeah. English. I'm this I'm currently reading language. uh a book about the Comanche Nation by a very dry scholar and the information in there is what's really keeping me going but man it's it's a challenge to get through the info and it just reminds me of ulysses because it's challenging too but it's also for me personally not entertaining like he he wields the language very well but also you again at some point there needs to be a fucking period right <laughs> right so yeah. so yeah yeats was fucking a badass and um <clears throat> i'm gonna be reading some more of his poetry and probably doing a bit more research on him because he seems like somebody who should fit my pantheon of heroes but that's enough about old wb let's get into the yeats of the episode i i, I wrote me because I had that pun in my head, but I had to look up the pronunciation before the episode to make sure that it would work, and it does. <laughs> okay, so yes, I'm I'm pretty sure W. B. Yeats has would have had very strong opinions on political spectrums. So we're going to talk about political spectrums. So first off, what is a political spectrum? From dictionary, well, here, what is your definition of a political? Sp- spectrum so before i go with the ones from dictionary um i guess typically in the american sense of it um it's a straight line right on the left being liberal i guess ideally like socialist ideas Mm -hmm. and then on the far right fascist and then the middle you know your centrist liberal yeah. Kind of, yeah. But you know, here's a quick antidote. Uh, there's this big uh, thing going on with politi- the political quadrant stuff. Yes. That's how people identify themselves now. Oh, yeah. I'm an authoritarian, you know. And I, I didn't put anything in the script in here, so I think it's a good time to go ahead and talk about it. I, I think personally for me, that is a more. Um, informational way of looking at your political views, but it's from a more individualized, you know, perspective right. versus the just concept of political philosophy. Because I know I, when I take those tests and then compare them to like popular uh, politicians, I'm usually further south than Bar- uh, Bernie Sanders. So right. not at all surprised. I'm way further. <laughs> right. Yeah, I haven't taken one in a few months. I try to take one you know, every six months or so, but it always comes up the same. I guess I am slowly drifting more to the left, but I'm already, like, you're, on the borders. You're, you're, you always kind of, you're an anarchist, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm a practical anarchist, a, a theoretical communist. Like, I would love to see communism work, but I don't think humans have evolved enough to make communism work. So, oh God, you're visionist. <laughs> hey, but I do, I do firmly believe in the power of anarchy and mutual aid, and the fact that yeah. anarchy is a left wing viewpoint, no matter what the libertarians want to try to rebrand it as. But yeah, I think there is a problem with discourse on the left. Uh, like, for me, I'm a Marxist Leninist, like yeah. straight up, and you know, I think there are certain things in Trotskyism that are interesting to me, but there is a lot of discourse on the left factionalism you know Mm -hmm. things like that i think there's things that can be interpreted from uh, any ideology or theorists that can be beneficial for a mutual socialist revolution oh yeah i i think that's very true when you look at the various types of left-wing uprisings throughout like european history it was always a coalition of democrats and uh democratic socialists communists anarchists at the end of the day i think we all just want what's best for each other and when we focus 
more on that yeah. rather than the roads that take us to the same destination. So, yeah. but that's actually a good way to get me back in the script. So all those particular delineations of, of leftists like us all occur on a political spectrum, right? So dictionary.com uh, def- defines it as, <clears throat> I couldn't remember which uh, defining website I was currently beefing with. I'm pretty sure it's Merriam-Webster. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> dictionary.com. Yeah, dictionary.com. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, just enter promo code uh, red red leg words and you get 20% off your words I guess anyway uh, quote the political spectrum refers to the range of political positions or opinions that exist from the progressive left wing to the conservative right wing end quote that's a very succinct way of putting it a political spectrum should run the g- uh, gamut between far left ideologies su- such as anarchism contrasted by the far right nationalistic authoritarian agenda I say should because, as you were just saying, it's far from that in America. Back to the buddies at dictionary.com. Quote, (laughs) The term political spectrum is a concept that models political belief and ideologies as a continuum with left-wing liberalism and right-wing conservatism anchoring the two poles. A radical extreme of the far left would be anarchism, with fascism its counterpoint on the far right, and most people falling somewhat closer to the center. Use of left... I didn't know this next part up until I was doing the research for this use of left wing and right wing began in the 1789 french revolution when the revolutionary camp tended to sit together on the left side of the french national assembly and their uh, aristocracy favoring counterparts on the right the center seats became associated with more moderate political views french newspapers began identifying more socially liberal politicians as the left and more traditional authoritarian politicians as the right end quote I learned something today in all my years of political I think, organizing. Well, I didn't know because that. Because it brings up for me, like, frame of reference. Like, I'm reading this book about the Bolshevik rise to power right now. And it doesn't seem to matter what society, I guess, you know, post French Revolution, what society you're in, whether you're in a communist dictatorship, uh, an egalitarian communist, you know, workers, democracy, uh, you know, Western capitalist uh, republic. Like, everybody has their left and their right, you know? Yeah. And, like, for example, like, in Soviet Union, you know, you had the right-wing trade unionists, the leftist Trotskys, and then you had good old Uncle Joe in the middle, apparently, or supposedly. Well, and we can even see that same thing in today's right-wing. You know, we have the left part of the United States right-wing, which would be your more... Mitt Romney's, your more sane people, the people who are yeah. like, yeah, we can have a little fascism as a treat versus the side of, in fact, I'm pretty sure I go into this later, but the side of, you know, Donald Trump, where it's like, no, we want all the fascism, not just a little, all of it. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, yeah, I learned something today. In all my years of political organizing and activism, I didn't know, but probably should have assumed that it went back to the French Revolution. Ah, guillotines. <clears throat> all right. Uh, so in America, we severely limit the political spectrum. America has never really had a true left wing. We've always been a center-right country with pockets of populists. Shit. That's my new folk. That's We should start a folk band, and, and that's what it should be called. Pockets of populists. Communist Party in the 19-teens says, am I a joke to you? (laughs) Just a little bit because it got crushed by, like, everything else. Uh, In fact, uh, that spring up from time to time. When left-wing ideologies start to take hold, they're violently oppressed by the center-right continuum. (laughs) Yeah, so it's literally why the FBI was created, if I recall, was to combat yes, communists. Yes, you know. Yep, but post revolution. That that actually, I need to do an episode about policing this year because it's been on the back of my back of my head, and that'll yeah. be something we'll look on. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, famed. <clears throat> Famed left-wing intellectual Noam Chomsky said this, quote, The smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to strictly limit the spectrum of acceptable opinion, but allow very lively debate within that spectrum, end quote. And that's exactly what happens in America. 
again, we've never had a viable, viable being the keyword, far-left party. What we've always had is a centrist party, which masquerades as a far-left party, and a right-wing party. Through media, educational institutes, and societal norms regarding binaries, we've almost eliminated the idea that the far-left is viable, as well as equating the center-liberals as the far-left. Any thoughts? Um... No, I mean, I think it's pretty spot on. I think obviously since uh, Bernie and like everything the what's that's happened in the past 20 years, um, I think we've seen definitely like a, you know, it seems cyclical in the U.S., right? But yeah. it never seems to reach that tipping point. <laughs> but the, the furthest I can think of, in, at least in the last 60, 70 years, being in the 60s, right? With yeah. the new left. Yeah. But I mean, before that, I feel like so much of a, our like leftist history in the u.s it is suppressed that like it's just not commonly known oh know? yeah our narrative isn't yeah really totally but that's... yeah as for now i totally agree with everything you're saying that's a big reason that a lot of my shows i try to put some sort of history toward the end part of partly because i that's my favorite subject but also like you said i don't think even well-versed leftists, there's so much that's kept from us that, I mean, hell, I'm still learning new things. And I yeah. read, uh, you know, pretty exclusive leftist literature. So, but, <clears throat> so let me uh, check my time here. Yeah, I think we need to stop and chill for some of my favorite groups. So uh, today's episode is brought to you by Dictionary.com. Promo code REDLEGPOD for 20% off your words. Joe, you got anything you want to plug? (laughs) (laughs) I got to get the sweet, sweet language money. (laughs) All right, here's some ads. We'll be back. I just got my hours cut again. How can I pay my bills? Yeah, it sucks, especially since they only pay us minimum wage. But what can we do? Solidarity Man. That's right, fellow workers. It is I, Solidarity Man, champion of the working class. And it sounds like you need a union. A union? That's right. What power on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So a union makes us strong? That's right. Alone, you can do little to change your situation. But together, you can move mountains. And the industrial workers of the world are here to help. Huh? The IWW is a union for all workers, no matter the trade, job, or career. And we want to organize your workplace. Wow. Where can we find the IWW? In your hometown. The IWW has branches all over the world. Check out IWW.org to find your local membership board or join as an at-large member and start your own chapter. After all, our greatest superpower is working together. I must go. I hear another exploited worker calling for help. But remember, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Away! Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honey, is that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my god, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The mighty skunk ape is on Facebook and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you, the Skunk Ape Liberation Union. about 
Lennon, and we are back. And I was recording all that, so that's probably what I'll fade in from commercials on. So, all right. So the question you might, not you, Joe, or probably my listeners, but if I was had a bigger audience, somebody in the audience would be like, well, what's the difference between liberals and leftists? So I'm going to let you have at that, and then I'll read what I got written. What's the difference between liberals and leftists? Yeah. Uh, I guess fundamentally, liberals believe in uh, a market economy, a free yeah. market economy, yeah. and leftists believe in some sort of planned economy. Yep. Um, <laughs> financially, I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's a great. And start. I think leftists would say like um, workers should own. The proletariat should own the means of production, yep. the working class, or some formation of the peasantry and working class. Whereas, a liberal, you know, um, is more focused on the the individual and the, and the company and private enterprise owning the means of production. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great way to sum it up. Liberals believe capitalism can be reformed, reworked, and refocused, like you said. Leftists like us believe that capitalism is inherently exploitative, evil, and unable to keep up with the increasing demands to shareholders. That whole exponential growth we've... I can't remember which episode we were talking about it in, but we talked about that. Uh, yeah. so, so from the very start, there's a divide on economic policy, and that bleeds into other realms of both social and global policy. So um, an offshoot of that is like what you just said about who needs to own the means of production. Liberals tend to think groups of people in the form of companies or corporations should, while leftists like us are like, well, the people, duh. So, yeah. all right, so liberals it's believe... Interesting the factoid to that that you can, like, directly apply to, like, reality, right? Yeah. Like, um, a lot of times you hear, like, China's state capitalists or whatever, but mm -hmm. uh, there is an intermediary period in between capitalism and communism right where like um the dictatorship of the proletariat mm -hmm. that's the marxist marxist leninist view whereas the anarchists would say let's skip all that bullshit yeah. <laughs> um but yeah like in china for example like they still have private enterprise but at least 51 percent of shares in every company are owned by the the communist party yeah so it's in that so, transition yeah. stage so when mm -hmm. we're talking about social and global policies and how liberals and leftists view things different, liberals believe we should respect transgendered people. Leftists believe we need to do that as well, but we also need to do that by force. Uh, same goes with others on the LGBT spectrum, black and, black and brown comrades, and the oppressed poor. Liberals believe that, like capitalism, policing can be reformed. Leftists believe that it can't be reformed, and the issue with extrajudicial killings, corruption, and the prison industrial complex can only be abolished and replaced by something better. I could go on, but I think you get the point I'm trying to make here. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. So, the political spectrum is limited from the center to the right, and leftist groups and organizations are ridiculed and ignored in public discourse. This is particularly a problem because the limits of the political debate keep getting pushed further right. So if the entire discourse is going rightward, the center goes with it. Oh, well, there was the ad break. I didn't know I wrote one in there. Well, fuck that ad break. I'm an anarchist. Pass me. Can't tell me what to do. So. Fuck you. You can't do what you tell me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to, to Rage Against the Machine. Uh, so. I think that was uh, Paul Ryan's favorite band. <laughs> right. Remember that shit? Yes. Yes, I do. I mean, it happens so often, not just with Rage, but <clears throat> all these right wingers finding some music that they think is cool and completely miss. And then the artist being like, don't use my music. A perfect example, the Chinese weather balloon, right? Or, oh, my uh, God. Spy my balloon. favorite thing And then, oh, I wrote a parody of 99 red balloons that so was baller. <laughs> but Marjorie Tyler Green literally quoted from 99 red balloons talking about <laughs> why Biden should have shot it down sooner. <laughs> and everybody's like, bro, that's about balloons causing World War Three. Do you... Do you it went over your head, didn't it? Yeah. I okay. Welcome our new Chinese balloon over. <laughs> right. 
Ni hao. <laughs> Thank you, Ni hao Kailan, for teaching me that. <laughs> okay, so speaking of the right word shift, some may say that uh, 45 caused the right word shift, but it's been going on since before Reagan. Clinton and Obama would fit right into the Republican Party of the 60s. Well, maybe not Barack with the foreign-sounding name and melanated skin, but his policies certainly would. You see, the policies that the Democrats have taken in the past 20 years consistently line up with those of mid-20th century Republicans. That happened because, starting with old Ronnie Reagan and assorted other uh, Christo-fascist movements, the entire shebang moved right. We went from Republicans that supported unions, national parks, and individual rights to the uh, and individual rights to the party of Marjorie Tyler Greene, Matt Gates, and yes, Donald J. Trump. And the Democrats. I think it's important to note. I'm sorry. Oh, you go off. for it. I no, think you're it's good. Important to note that like this all happens when the no- New Deal coalition falls apart and yep. labor loses its power yep. with deindustrialization because like it's not anonymous or like random or coincidence that you know like neoliberal uh, um, policy like starts to take shape as soon as that happens. Yeah. Yeah. There's a vacuum and that's what gets filled. (laughs) Yeah. The pendulum swift goes to the right. Right. So there's an old leftist saying that we're just punching right. And if the Democrats are standing there, that's their fault. Republicans have drifted into the full acceptance and even embrace of fascism, while the Democrats assumed the vacuum the old-school Republicans occupied. And as I said, the center follows the right. I have little respect for centrists, personally. I honestly have more respect for those on the hard right who admit their own position instead of engaging in wishy-washy centrism. I mean, seriously, like, I'm not gonna condone their behavior. I don't respect you know, you're far right motherfucker in many ways, but one way that I do respect them is you show up, you believe what you believe, you've picked a side, and you're not sitting here trying to play both sides against the middle. So, uh, okay. I hate them both. (laughs) Well, I mean, I hate them both, but that doesn't mean, I, I honestly have respect for a lot of people that I hate. Like, I mean, Carl Rove is a great example. Dude is a horrible human being who will burn in hell, but he also I is... do get what you're saying, though, because, yeah. like, just taking historical examples, um, you know, with the right, you know your enemy, right? You exactly. know who your enemy is and, you know, what they stand for. Uh, you look at any, like, revolutionary movement that failed in, like, post-World War One Europe, like in Germany, for example, or... Yeah certain places like who who is it who always betrayed them you know the mm-hmm. social democrats or mm-hmm. or whoever it was and this is why i think lenin was so like smart about and that like he knew what like the most popular policies were which at the time of the revolution was anti-war policies yeah. right he said i am willing to like uh uh cooperate with other socialist or left-leaning parties even if they don't share my ideas but there are certain like core principles you just cannot renege on because they're so popular. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how you get the people. And first you get the people, then you get the votes, then you get the power. Wait, (laughs) cocaine. Hold on. It's all, it's all the cocaine trade, right? (laughs) (laughs) Say hello to my little friend. (laughs) Um, Okay. So where was I? Okay. So, Centrists are fascist enablers, yet they refuse to acknowledge their part in the rise of American fascism, let alone take any accountability for it. We're talking Weimar Republic bullshit, like you were just saying. The right cannot exist without these so-called centrists providing necessary political structural support. Without the center's support, they wouldn't win elections, make policy, or enjoy the benefits of a rightward shifting culture. Hell, Reagan was elected thanks to political moderates. Now, you, I was so excited that this paragraph's coming up, talking about historical leftists and and how who usually betrays them. Yeah. Let's talk about one of my favorite Dr. King quotes. <laughs> one of my favorite Dr. King quotes isn't the one that shows a sanitized version of that particular hero. You know, the I have a dream speech, the one everybody knows, and the one that's shoved down our throat to obs... obs- 
obfuscate. That's the word I'm looking for. Obfuscate. Obfuscate. Yes. Make it more difficult for people to know that Martin Luther King was a comrade. Um, But the one I'm alluding to comes from some of his most famous works, Letters from a Birmingham Jail. I pretty sure i've read some section of this before on the show but i couldn't remember where so and it's a good speech it's worth hearing again not in its entirety though because you know the the whole thing's pretty long but here's 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 what i i thought was worth noting quote first i must confess that over the last few years i have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the president, uh, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you and the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. Shallow under Understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. End quote. Gave myself shivers. Yeah. You really got into that. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> took, took me a minute, but... Okay, so... <laughs> and I had to keep myself from doing any, like, audio blackface, but it's really hard <laughs> to not read Dr. King and not... I'm not here going to do an impression, but I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the one person that it's like less problematic, but it's still pretty fucking problematic. Yeah. <laughs> so as two white guys, we should probably steer clear. Like. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll skirt by that one. <laughs> I don't want to do a lot of editing on this. <laughs> okay. So the moderates to Dr. King is directly calling out. Are your run of the mill centrist? The milquetoast segment of the population who has no desire to reach for actual change, regardless of how many people they see are being hurt, yet firmly believe that we can do better. They just refuse to take an ideological stand. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. That's a great line because it's so true. It's what we were just talking about earlier. So... Any thoughts before we move on? I mean, Dr. Ken was right. And I think you got to apply this like present day stuff too, right? Like we know at this point what the Democratic Party is and what the liberals are that, you know, what they stand for. Yeah. And but even I'd go even further than that and say, like the Democratic Party is so all encompassing of like, any left-leaning tendencies but they have to work within the framework of like their bourgeoisie ruling class Mm -hmm. uh, doctrine right like they're that you cannot be allowed to express working class uh policy or anything like that at at the within like the framework of like electoral governmental policy because if you the furthest left people who who we have the squad (laughs) i mean look at what they're doing you know with with the railroad strike and the betrayal of that so it goes beyond even liberals and it goes to the people who identify as socialists but are like really in practice not socialists at all oh yeah in fact i forget where it's in here but i'm mentioning that I know the right wing is fascist, and they want people like me along with as ah, I'm gonna cut that line. I know the right wing is fascist, and they want people like me along with other minorities to either leave the country or die trying. I can't speak with the same assurance when it comes to the ideological wishy-washy folks who refuse to take a stand. If you're sitting on a fence, there's probably a picket up your ass. Just saying. So when like you were just saying, <clears throat> when I look into my history books and see. I don't know, Bill Clinton signing NAFTA or Joe Biden sponsoring the crime bill of the 90s or Obama bombing Yemen with more drones than George W. Bush did. I see the pitfalls of centrism. 
when I see Democrats supporting increased police funding, the war in Iraq, like you mentioned, ending the railroad strike on the part of the bosses, or their support of FOSTA-SESTA Act, I'm reminded that centrism is as much an endemic disease as far-right philosophy. In fact, I think one could argue that they're just different strains of the same virulent infection. Centrism is HIV, while far-right thoughts is AIDS. They aren't the same thing, but they will both potentially fuck you up. So, before we go on, I think it's important to note here that when I compare these political models to diseases, I'm not speaking of any individual human. Like we discussed a few episodes ago when we're talking eco-fascism, dehumanizing people as vermin or disease, the other, etc., is the first step in genocides, and we don't do that here. But the strains of political thought that give rise to fascism, yes, those are a cancer, and I think I'm being intellectually honest and morally correct in calling that ideology a cancer or a disease. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, like incrementalism, all those things, I think those things are reactionary, like ideas and policies to the material decline conditions in the decline of like labor in America. Right. Oh yeah. Like, like you can't, you couldn't go back to 1930 eight or whatever and like talk to a steel worker in a union and be like oh we just gotta chip try incrementalism he'd be like the fuck are you talking about because <laughs> right. they had like power you know oh, they yeah. had real power that they could exercise yeah and then the u.s government figured out how to break that power and that solidarity to where now instead of being one united block like in the pullman strike or something where all these pockets where they can easily, you know, quash us one by one. It's the divide and conquer strategy, and unfortunately, and think, it works. Yeah, <laughs> and I think like if I don't know if you've been keeping up about what's going on in England right now. I but, try um, my best to not have any fucking idea what's going on in England. <laughs> yeah, just lots of strikes, but um, it's an example of when a country I think reaches its tipping point in terms of like the labor party there and uh, the right, just like people and workers feeling no support from them and taking matters Mm. into their own hands. So what we need to see here, but we're not there yet. So, but speaking of that kind of thing, that's the type of extreme positions that, you know, we tend to espouse and advocate. That's why I advocate more extreme positions. That's why I advocate for more than just voting. To bring it back to the political spectrum, voting within the reduced spectrum is endorsing the existence of that spectrum and giving it legitimacy and saying I'm okay with the fact that I don't have a choice that actually represents me. Unfortunately, that endorsement is important to participate in since it is a protective stopgap maneuver to help keep our most vulnerable comrades safe. But let's not delude ourselves and pretend like the United States has any viable left wing at the national level. And we won't, unless one of two things happen. We either infiltrate the center-right organizations and covertly change the platform by running for office ourselves, first within the party and then within the greater government, or we burn it all down and start again. The former option is difficult, though, as the current powers have a pretty solid lock on their party platforms, and even slightly more left-leaning politicians like Bernie Sanders or AOC, if they try to make changes, they're co-opted, coerced, and convinced to abandon their policy positions. This is why so many leftists like myself don't believe that route will work. Much like capitalism or the police, the political system in America cannot be reformed. The two-party system has no desire to divest themselves of power at the expense of the people. Any thoughts before we keep going? Um, yeah, just uh, you talked about Bernie and like political revolution and things like that. Uh, the thing is, is like the, that's all well and good, but like, yeah, you need a you can't just take on the political establishment you have to fight at the non-electoral level as well yes specifically with you know um working class unions and councils like uh representatives from different uh communities right yeah like you need a broad spectrum of working class people working together and that doesn't necessarily have to just be 
political oh, yeah. structure. Right? On that subject uh, of broad groups of people working together, that's exactly what the groups that sponsor this show does. And this is turning out to be a long episode, so two commercial breaks, bitches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Hey, capitalism sucks, but Revolution Records, Kansas City's old school record and bookstore, is part of my community. When I'm in Kansas City and need a book or a copy of a local band's album, I go to Revolution Records. Revolution has a great selection of posters, books, records, tapes, and zines. Plus, they repair music and sound gear. That's pretty dope. Most importantly, Revolution Records is part of the community beyond being a small business. The staff does a great job maintaining an inclusive, accepting, and respectful atmosphere, and they also are active in making Kansas City a better place. Community fundraisers, workshops, events, and meetings all have taken place at Revolution Records, and that's just the stuff I was involved in. So the next time you need a new record to spin or your speaker breaks, go check out Revolution Records, located 1830 Locust Street, Kansas City, Missouri, or at revolutionrecordskc.com. perfect voice for like public radio like i don't do it too often on this show because it's all about being hyped but you know yeah. i can talk really 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 you can do the npr voice oh very much so sweaty balls sweaty balls <laughs> sweaty balls <laughs> <laughs> okay so consider the multi-party systems in other countries compared to the united states in other countries where more than two political parties are allowed, the parties have to make concessions to form coalitions if they ever want to pass any laws. That requires some measure of cooperation, and by virtue of there being actual working people's parties, the people are actually represented in the laws. In the United States, we don't have that luxury. Here you get to pick between the oppressive corporatist police state party who likes reproductive rights and the oppressive corporatist police state party that doesn't. It's just an illusion of choice. I have never and will never vote Republican. I also will never again vote Democrat, speaking of the presidency, uh, ever again after being strong-armed into Biden. And I'm, we're not going to let this go into a Biden-bashing thing, so I'm just going to push through. So after how Biden screwed us all after the pandemic. So where does a voter like me go? The Democrats will tell me that they have my best interest at heart, but so will the Republicans. They will both use their wedge issues as a threat. Democrats, great thing for them was Roe v. Wade and why it was never codified because that's how they polarized their base. Incidentally, it was also how the Republicans polarized their base. If we had a viable third party, viable being the key word here, I'd vote with them, but the two-party state has made it impossible for a third party to form, get exposure and funds, and get elected. I'm going to have to do a whole episode about the two-party system at some point in the future, but for now, just know I'm not alone in my feelings about this. Many people don't feel like they're actually represented by either the Democrats or Republicans, and that cynicism drives voter inaction. If you've been told your whole life that third parties aren't a viable option, and you don't agree with the Republicans or Democrats, why would you go vote? <clears throat> so that, in turn, allows the centrists to hold more political power than they really deserve. And this is why I believe so firmly in the big three. Direct action, mutual aid, and dual power. To me, these endeavors are more efficient and expedient than taking an electoral route to change. We can't count on any politician to save us, but we can count on our community. A revolution doesn't have to be a violent one. Revolutions can occur in the way we think, what we do Stay with our lives. Right now. What? No. <laughs> That's a that's a revolution. <laughs> uh, revolutions can occur in the way we think, what we do with our lives, and how we choose to engage with systems or people. Part of a cultural revolution is this podcast and other shows like it. Part of it's growing your own food, making your own clothes, raising your own chickens. Revolution is sharing with the community, doing inner work to better serve your brethren, and simply taking time to recall your inherent humanity and worth. Revolutions are also showing up in the street and throwing tear gas canisters back at cops, but we so often overlook the other less extreme methods that change. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the way you beat 
bourgeoisie electoralism is, like you said, direct action, mutual aid, and building communities outside of capital, right? Yep. yep. Um, so that, and that takes power away from capital, and you also confront capital when you can, if you're in a position to do so. Yeah. That means as a worker, you know, through your workplace, or as somebody who's organizing workers. Yeah. That's pretty much the bare essentials of it. Yeah. And we'll get, I'm sure when this summer happens and yet another African American is killed unjustly and we're back out in the streets, I'll probably do a, a primer about in the street activism and stuff. Because one thing I learned after 2020 was a lot of people didn't realize how important it is to support the cause but not necessarily in the front lines. I had so many people who were disabled or immunocompromised who couldn't go out and they felt so guilty that all they could do was, you know, run Intel in a Discord group or, you know, uh, get the word out or donate money. And it takes all types. We all have, I've talked about this a lot too, that we all have our talents to give to the cause. And, you know, it's not all going to be the same thing. Like we talk a lot about food production. Not everybody's going to grow a garden. You know, I need somebody to watch my kids while I go grow, you know, grow the garden. And then I need somebody to prepare the veggies that I'm out growing, you know, so don't get down on yourself if you're unable to go out and hit the streets. But definitely if the opportunity arises and, and you can come out, I'll tell you as someone who's been to more protests than I can count, as scary as they can get, I've never felt more, I don't know if safe's the right word, but more like secure than mm-hmm. when you're in a block of people who, at least on this one subject, you're protesting against think like you. So this yeah. kind of what we're talking about ties in, I'm about ready to close out the episode, but um, this ties into last thing I wanted to cover. So I was once having a conversation with a comrade of mine who is now with the Socialist Rifle Association, and we were talking about the difference in concept between living for the cause and dying for the cause. Dying for the cause is what we all talk about. It's what many of us aspire to. After all, that's how martyrs are made. But honestly, dying for the cause is easy, guys. It's an it's inevitable, you know, like the manner of how you're going to die for the cause. Yeah, that's up for grabs, but we all eventually are going to die. So it's not really anything special. It's kind of a cop out to me. The important thing is what's between the birthing and the dying. You know, how are you living for the cause? Because that's the important thing. Filling the time between the beginning and the inevitable end with things that matter things that will cause a revolution, if not globally, then in your heart and mind. So how can we help our community? After all, our community is an extension of ourselves, and we can help shape it into the utopia that we see for ourselves. This is where participation is so important for all of us. You can't really get out of it. You know, if you want to see a better world, then, you know, be part of that world. Think global. Act local. Pay it forward. Be the change. Don't give up. Anyway, here's our old friend William Butler Yeats to close out the show. Before we get into this, Joe, you got anybody you want to plug? Anything you want to say? Anybody you want to start beef with? Anybody you want to patch beef up with? Like, I got beef with everybody. Well, fuck you uh, too, bro. <laughs> not really. I have been like really reading a lot more and looking to get more active in Kansas City community. So um, I don't have much today other than, you know, I found a couple cool Discord groups and I've contacted like the Tenants Union and different places getting involved. So I'll just oh, keep yeah. you up to date on that next time yeah. and let you know how that goes. No, that's dope. Plug something. Yeah, you get more involved and you at least got groups to throw out. So um, and I am sometimes going... you just gotta say make sacrifices, man. Yeah, for the cause. Right. Right. Just gotta 
give yourself up something. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, not for me <clears throat> and plugs, I'm going to plug myself because I'm pretty badass and this show is pretty cool. So you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Red Leg Revolution. Yeah, give him money. Well, yes, and you can give me money at uh, Patreon, Red Leg Pod, or sponsoring through the Anchor app, which is what I use to distribute this. And I'm on some other socials, but I mean, I have other socials. I'm never on them, so don't look them up. They're a joke. Facebook is where to find me. So, yeah, here we go. We're going to go back to William Butler Yeats with the William second Butler. coming. Butler. <clears throat> Change, I changed my dis or my my username and Discord and a couple other places to Gabe at sex. <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm sitting here like getting myself prepared to read this piece of classical poetry and then here's gabe at sex <laughs> good, huh? yeah well I, I realize this episode i'm getting my dramatic reading chops because i have both a tragic irish poem and a dr king speech so i'm feeling yeah. pretty lucky today all you right heavy, heavy hitters up yep okay here we go Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming... Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight somewhere in sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun is moving its slow thighs while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know the 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle and what rough beast its hour come round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. Free at last, free at last, let God Almighty. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's the show. Here's some music. Uh, who should we curse about today? We have we have a lot of a lot of name drops. I don't have any good centrist to curse. Oh, are we saying who we don't like right now? Yeah, well, you know, the end of every show over my over the the outro i i usually put a fuck whoever the bad guy of the show was oh well who's the who's the ultimate centrist that's what uh, i was sitting here thinking like i mean it's gotta be obama right okay we'll go be. we'll go with that because Thanks, that, that's exactly where where i was going fuck obama for having centrist or normalizing centrism and that one specific thing <laughs> thanks Obama yeah thanks Obama <laughs> let me be clear this has been a production of 419 Media 